Hey, uh, yeah. Well, first of all, I have a really important question. Uh, do we have any, any kids in here? Are there any kids in here? Really, that's not, I like, you're allowed to yell in church. Are there any kids in here? Where are you? Are there any kids in here? Okay, okay. Now I can hear you guys. Well, hey, uh, because there are some kids in here, I just want you guys to know that you are the most important ones in the room. Um, and so today... I'm gonna to try to focus a little bit on talking to you guys as we do this message, right? I know normally when you come into the main service, you're like, whoa, why is everybody so old and boring? And I am old and boring, so that might happen a little bit, but I'm gonna to try to remember that you guys are here too, all right? And so uh, if I'm talking to you kids, just like if we were in like three to five hang or something like that, I want you guys to know that you are more than welcome to talk and to shout and to yell back at me if you want to. If you're a little shy, that's okay, no pressure. Do what you want. Uh, but uh, like Nick was saying, my name is Alec. I, I spent like nine years as one of the youth pastors here and like a year interning before that and some years before. Yeah, you can clap for youth pastors. That's, yeah, Nick and Chloe, they're pretty awesome. Um, and just so you guys know, if you, if you don't already know this, like our youth team and our, and our children's team, they love your kids so much. Like during the week, they're constantly talking about and praying about your kids and caring for your kids and hanging out with your kids. And kids in the room, your leaders love you a lot. They tell me about how awesome you guys are all the time. Uh, but we've been doing this series. Today is actually our last day in a series on the book of Philippians. And we've been looking at Philippians through the lens of like emotional and mental health. Um, and emotional mental health, right, that is when like we're talking about the feelings that we have. Sometimes they're really good and really right and really healthy, right? Sometimes it's right to be sad or stressed out or anxious, or sometimes it's right to be happy. But sometimes our feelings, they're, they're not the feelings that are healthy in that moment. Right? Sometimes our feelings, they go to a level that's just too much and too unhealthy or goes too long. Right? And so some, one of those feelings that we talk about uh, is anxiety. Right? Anxiety is when we're having a stressed feeling that's just too much for us. Um, and, and the book of Philippians talks a lot. Uh, we, we've been saying often, it's not a book about emotional and mental health, but it's a book of mental health on display, right? When we look at Paul's life and we're saying, wait, this guy was in prison and he was like really like relaxed and calm and full of joy and peace in the middle of prison. What's going on with that? Um, but there are a couple places where the book of Philippians and the words that Paul was writing in this letter to the church in Philippi, uh, where he really is talking directly about something that you and I would call emotional or mental health. And the passages we're going to read today are a really good example of that. Um, and so Paul is going to be discussing um, anxiety uh, in a really meaningful way, I think, today. So that's going to bring us to Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 through 7 be up on the screen, or you can look at it in your Bible or on your phone if you want. But this is what Paul says. He says, rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God and the peace of God, which transcends, which goes above and beyond all understanding. It will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So Paul, he, he says something really interesting if you're someone who's ever experienced anxiety, right? Have you ever felt anxious? Have you ever felt like really stressed out, like there's too much uh, that, for you to handle? 
right? Maybe if, if you're someone who knows what it's like to feel like there's something right here about to get you all the time, or you're in a room full of people and there's just too much noise and you're freaking out and you just need to get out. Maybe you're someone who knows what it's like to constantly be looking at the circumstances around you and just thinking this is going to end so bad. Everything is always going to end bad. You're always anxious. Or maybe you're someone who's not constantly anxious, but you've had a couple of moments through life where you've encountered anxiety, right? Where it's been too much. It's felt like it's out of control and you're drowning in it. It's felt like, man, just like this is going to end so bad. And maybe you're in a situation and you know it's different from the situation from your past that was really bad, but you're having a hard time believing that this is different from that, even though you know it is. Maybe you're someone who knows what it's like even to experience a panic attack every here and there, right? Where you're breathing quickly and you just can't detach yourself from the anxiety that you're feeling. And Paul, uh, he says something that if you're one of those people who knows what anxiety feels like, he says something that might be a little bit upsetting. He says, do not be anxious. How many of you who have felt anxiety think, oh yeah, great, thanks, Paul. That, that's wonderful. Yeah, I forgot. I just needed to not be anxious. That's so helpful. Right? There's like an internal eye roll that happens when someone says, do not be anxious. Or maybe you even get angry because you're like, that is so unhelpful. Do not be anxious. What are you talking about? Now, I'm naturally a really relaxed, chill guy. Um, I like naps on the couch. Uh, when I was a kid, I enjoyed playing immense and ridiculous amounts of video games. Um, are there any Minecraft lovers out there? Is that still like a top game? Yeah, that's right. Okay. Um, Unfortunately, Minecraft did not exist when I was a young laddie, but we still had some pretty good video games. Good enough that I could spend eight hours on a Saturday playing video games and maybe push it to like 10 if my parents would let me. Um, but I, I've always been naturally a very relaxed, very chill kind of person. And in high school, I was probably even more chill than I am these days. I, I hadn't yet experienced what I would call real anxiety when I was in high school. Now, I had this, this friend in high school. Uh, her name was Brittany. I was a junior, and I think she was a year younger than me, so she would have been a sophomore. And Brittany was one of those, like, really driven people. She was in, like, all honors and AP classes, like, on track to be the valedictorian, right? Like, the person with the best grades in the whole school. She, she like, she was in student government and speech and debate and cheer, and she played the harp. Um, not like she had a harp that she was like, oh, I'll go over and blah, 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 sometimes. She like serious, she would like practice it for hours and hours and hours and she'd do like concerts and orchestra and stuff like that with the harp. And I remember asking her one day like, why do you play the harp? I mean, that's really cool, but why do you play the harp? And, and you'd think she'd be like, oh, because I, you know, was a little girl and I've dreamed of being a fairy or something like that. But no, she was like, because harp is like a really serious but rare instrument and so it'll get me into a good college more likely so that I can get a master's and then I get a doctorate and then I can become president of, the, of America and then I can become president of the whole world. That was like her dream. And I was like, wow, that is not what I expected a harp player to say. But okay, interesting. And I remember one day I was hanging out with my friends at lunch and we were being all relaxed and chill like I am. Just, you know, yeah, just lunch, I'm having a corn dog, you know. Corn dogs are very chill food. Um, and, uh, and Brittany comes up and she is literally edging into a panic attack. By the time she was done talking with us, she was in a panic attack. She's saying, guys, I don't know what to do. There's too much to do. If I don't sleep for the next two weeks, I still won't get it all done. I have, I have a test that I just probably only got like an A minus in instead of an A plus. So like, I'm really freaked out about that. I have two tests later today. I have a test next week. I have like a, a concert coming up. I have, I have a game coming up on Friday. There's so much going on. I don't think I can do it all. What am I supposed to do? And you can hear her breathing is getting faster and faster and faster. And she's starting to tear up and she She's literally just stepping into a panic attack. And she's saying, what do I do? And I said, well, all right, well I thought to myself, well, it's a, it's a good thing you came to the most chill person I know. 
which is me. And I said, Brittany, I know what to do. And she said, please, because I have no idea. And I said, Brittany, 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 all you got to do is just stop being anxious. <laughs> and then, why are you guys laughing? This is good advice. <laughs> and then you can go to your next class and you can enjoy it. And you go out by the next week and you can enjoy it. It's just so easy. And in my mind, she was going to say, Alec, thank you so much. You are so wise and so chill. And I'm learning from a true master, a wizard of relaxation right here. I did not know that I had an anxiety switch and I was choosing to leave my anxiety switch in the on position. And all I needed to do was turn in the off position. I can go about and enjoy my life. And if some things happen and some things don't happen, no big deal. I can be as relaxed as you are. In my mind, I was confident that that, that was going to be her response. She was going to be so grateful. Instead, she screamed in my face and said, Alec, don't you think that if I could stop being anxious, I would stop being anxious? What are you thinking? And then she turned around and she stormed off. And I kid you not, she didn't speak to me for like a whole week. And I was, I was shocked. Like my jaw like just dropped. I was like, what? I just gave her such good advice, which she clearly isn't listening to because she's still feeling anxious, even though I told her to stop, you know? I don't know what's wrong with her. And then, and it wasn't until my, my friends began to explain to me, and they said, Alec, you're an idiot. I know that's not a good word, but it's the word that they used to, to describe my behavior, and I think it was, it was true. They said, Alec, that's not how it works. And I was like, well, if, I don't know. My anxiety switches in the off position, and I'm not feeling anxious right now, so clearly it does. And they said, Alec, it, doesn't, it just doesn't work like that. It wasn't until a few years later when I experienced real anxiety for the first time, and a little while after that, when I experienced a panic attack, that I realized, wow, they were right. There's not just a switch. I'm not just smarter than everyone else to just keep my switch in the off position. But if there's not a switch for our anxiety to turn on and off, then what is Paul saying when he says, don't be anxious? What's his point here? Well, I don't think Paul believed in an anxiety switch either. It might be helpful for us to look at where Paul is saying that we need to get to, where he's like the goal, where he's saying to go to. At the end of this thought, Paul says this. He says, and the peace of God, which transcends, which goes above, which is bigger than, which is higher than all understanding. The peace of God will guard your hearts and minds. That's where Paul is saying, he's saying, go from anxiety to this place where the peace of God is, is guarding your hearts and your minds. Now, Paul is writing this in the Greek language, which is a pretty cool, fun language. Um, but Paul is a Hebrew, right? He speaks Hebrew and he grew up as a Hebrew. So the foundation of the way his brain and mind and heart works is in the Hebrew language. And so there is no doubt in my mind that when Paul writes peace in the Greek language, he's thinking of the Hebrew word shalom, which means peace, but it means so much more than shalom. Shalom is one of the most important words in the Hebrew language uh, because, for one, it's how you say hello and goodbye, right? So if we're speaking Hebrew and you show up to my house, I'm going to say shalom. If we're speaking Hebrew and you're leaving my house, I'm going to say shalom, shalom. If it's Saturday, I'm going to say shabbat shalom. And, and it's, and it's this, just this acknowledgement of this peace of God that we're blessing people. Shalom is a blessing that you would speak over someone. Shalom is, it means peace in every sense of what we think it to be, but it means something more and deeper than that. It's like when everything is right and clicked and connected in the way it ought to be and adjusted properly and healthy. When someone is sick, you, you would speak shalom over them. You would, you, would, you would wish shalom over them. Their body would be whole and complete and full and at peace. Shalom is when the enemy that's causing chaos isn't around anymore. 
Uh, shalom is like when you have a really hard, long day on the weekend, right? And you mow the lawn and you weed whack and then you trim the trees and then you sweep everything up and you put the tools away and you're in the backyard and you, and you could like go in and take a shower and like, you know, sit on the couch, but instead you're sweaty and you're enjoying the soreness of your muscles, right? It's that good kind of sore. That means you did some really good work and you just sit and you stare at the yard and you think, yeah, who put in their winter lawns recently knows what I'm talking about handful of dads out there are like, I know exactly what you're saying. Everybody else is like, no, I don't like yard work. This is not shalom for me. Um, shalom is also when you go home from a long day of work, right? And you work really hard and you make, you make a, a meal for like an hour or so, or you put it on the table in front of your whole family and you sit down and you eat and you laugh and you enjoy the company of your family. That's shalom. When you're enjoying the fruit of your labor and the goodness and the wholeness and the peace of your family. Shalom is when you've been battling cancer for years and you finally get the news that your body is cancer-free and is restored to a state of shalom and so is your soul. Paul says the shalom of God is where we're going, this place where the shalom of God will guard our hearts and our minds. And it goes above and beyond understanding. And I think Paul knows that it's, we don't get to the shalom of God with a flip of a switch. We get to the to shalom of God, of God in the same way that like, we garden things. Who has ever had a garden? Are there any kids in here? Have you ever done like, a little experiment with a seed where you like, sprout it? I remember being a little kid and my mom had these little seeds and we put it in this little tiny wooden box that we made and we grew these beans. Beans are so fun to grow because they grow a little quicker than everything else. Right? But when you plant something, it doesn't like turn from a seed into a big, huge plant like that, does it? No, it's probably really frustrating at first because you're just like, what? Nothing's going on. And you wait and wait and wait and wait and wait and wait and wait. And then slowly but surely, if you give it water, if you get sunshine, if you, get, if you give it soil over the course of days and weeks and months and years and sometimes decades, if it's a big enough plant, it slowly grows into something powerful. And the same God that made those trees and plants and gardens made you and me. And sometimes... Things like anxiety get healed like that by a supernatural miracle. But almost all of the time, it happens very, very slowly as we expose our hearts and our minds to the right soil and the light and the right conditions and the water. And this is what Paul is telling us about. He's telling us about the soil and the light and the water here. So again, in Philippians, oh, sorry, let me, uh, let me get another point before we dig back into the verses. Uh, there's this other really interesting thing about the word shalom, right? In the Hebrew language, it's, uh, I won't dive too much into it because we don't have time to do that today, but the Hebrew language is something really cool, right? Where the letters actually are pictures of things and they have, they carry with them a bit of a connotation. So when you spell a word, it tells you in Hebrew how to say the word, but also tells you something about the meaning of the word. And if we were to look at the letters in the word shalom, they would tell us something about the meaning of the word shalom, that it means something like to destroy the authority that establishes chaos, right? To get rid of what is causing trouble, what's making the problem, right? Imagine you're on the beach and you love building sandcastles. Are there any sandcastle building lovers out there? I love building sandcastles. I know that there are more than just kids out there who like building sandcastles. I'm 33 years old, that's right, this guy right here. You and me, vacation one of these days, we'll build a sandcastle. I, I, you ask my wife, I, every time I go to the beach, if there's at all reasonable sand for sandcastle building, that's what I'm going to be doing for at least an hour. And now imagine you want to build a sandcastle on the beach. That's the shalom you're looking for. But there is an eight-year-old bully on the beach who loves smashing sandcastles. You know who I'm talking about. There's one on every beach, right? And as long as he is walking around smashing sandcastles, you will have no shalom in your sandy kingdom, will you? 
Now, because he's an eight-year-old, I would suggest you not destroy him, uh, but maybe you, you remove that authority that is establishing the chaos, that is ruining the shalom. You have to get that out of there in order to have shalom. And, and, and so the question then is, what are the authorities that are establishing the chaos of anxiety in our hearts and in our lives? that we need to remove, that we need to destroy. I thought about this for a while, and I'm sure that there are more uh, authorities that cause chaos, that cause anxiety than I was able to think of, but I could think of at least two really common ones. The first is the lie that God is not good. That is an authority that is causing chaos and anxiety in our hearts and in our lives, right? Because if God is not good and I'm in, th- and I'm in these troubling situations, Right, then I'm worried that these outcomes are not gonna be good because God doesn't care about me because he doesn't love me because he doesn't have my best interest in, in mind. And so I have all the reason to be anxious if God who is in control is not good. If I wanna find peace and shalom, I need to destroy that authority and understand in the depths of my heart, not just in my mind, not just something I'd be willing to write on a piece of paper for a test, but really understand in all of who I am that God is good. And when I know that God is good and I'm in scary circumstances or anxiety-ridden circumstances, I don't feel anxiety because he's good. And so this is gonna end good, even if it ends in a painful way or in a way I don't like, I know ultimately it's gonna end really good because God is good. The other uh, authority that might be causing the chaos of anxiety in our lives, it seemed obvious to me, was the lie that God is not in control, right? Because if God's good but not in control, then it doesn't matter because then I'm still left in this chaotic situation. Maybe it's my boss who hates me. Maybe it's that mean teacher that doesn't like me. Maybe there's no one in control. I don't know who's in, maybe it's me who's in control and I know I'm not really in control. So then this could end anyway. This is crazy and chaotic. And if I'm gonna have peace, shalom, Instead of anxiety, I'm going to have to get my heart and all of who I am into alignment with the reality that God is in control. And Paul suggests some things that I think will really help us to combat, to destroy these authorities. He starts off, he says, rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all the Lord is near. What does it mean to rejoice in the Lord? Well, well, I learned something about rejoicing from a really, really wise individual in my family. One of, the, one of the individuals who understands and knows rejoicing in the nearness of someone more than anyone I've ever, ne- ever met before. His name is Biggie. He is a one-foot-tall pug chihuahua. Um, and let me tell you something, this wise, wise little sage of a pup understands rejoicing really well. Biggie uh, is my wife's dog. She brought him into our marriage. He's my dog too. I love him. He's a great dog. Uh, but, but he, like most dogs, rejoices when his owner comes home. Let me tell you, when, when my wife comes home, when he hears the garage door or when he hears the front door handle getting jiggled, right, he freaks out. He loves napping. He naps all the time, but when my wife is coming home, he gets up from his nap immediately and he bolts to the front door and he starts wagging his tail and his whole butt and his whole body starts wagging with him, right? And then he starts yipping and scratching at the door and she shows up and he'll jump on her sometimes. And if he doesn't jump on her, he might like tinkle on the floor even occasionally if he's really excited. And the worst thing ever is when he's so excited that he like flips over on his back and then begins to tinkle on himself. He just... (laughs) It's like, oh no, don't get that excited. I know you're happy to see me, but that's too much, man. That's too much. And during my first year of marriage, I realized how much my wife felt loved by this every single day response. She never got tired of it. 
And I thought, well, I, I can learn from this little pup. You know, I can learn to rejoice in the nearness of my wife. And so I figured, well, I'll, I'll start rejoicing when my wife comes on. Now, just to alleviate your concerns, no, I did it in a slightly more human manner. I don't think it would go over so well if I tinkled on the floor when she came home. Somehow I don't think that would make her happy. Um, but I learned that, that every time my wife comes home, I started doing this in our first year of marriage, and I do it still today, and my wife has, has, has started following suit. So every time my wife comes home, I say, welcome home, beautiful. And I, in a weird, embarrassing, loud voice, I'm not going to do it for you guys, because we're weird, and those of you who know us know that we're weird, but I promise you it gets much weirder when you guys aren't around. Um, but I shout, and sometimes like I'll play like a, like a dance song, and I'll dance, and Biggie will get on it, and we'll dance a little puppy dance, you know, and, and just celebrate her. My wife does the same thing when I come home, and I started doing this so that my wife would feel more loved, but eventually I realized that something else was happening as well. I was feeling more love for my wife, too, because every time I rejoice in her drawing near, I remind myself how good she is. And so Paul says, rejoice in the Lord. Yeah, because he's worthy of it. Because we were made to rejoice in him. But also so that we would remember how good he is. And we remember how good he is. We are combating, we are destroying, we are chipping away at, we are suffocating the lie that is the authority that establishes the chaos of anxiety in our lives. We're combating the lie that God is not good. And slowly, like watering a plant over the course of many days and weeks and months and years, anxiety caused by that lie will be choked out by shalom. Paul goes on, he, he, there's that verse, right, that, that drives us nuts. He says, do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to the Lord. He says, take your request to God in every situation. Just take them to the Lord. Present your requests, your needs, your wants, your desires, everything in between, bring them to the Lord. I worked at a, at a breakfast restaurant called Coco's years ago. Is there anybody out here who likes breakfast? Um, I, I would like to hear a shout if you're like an eggs person. Are there any eggs? Okay. Scrambled eggs. Uh, are there any like, like uh, French toast people out there? Any, any pancake people out there? Okay. Okay. And when you're the pancake and French toast people and the, oh, uh, waffles, any waffles? Yeah. Yeah. Anybody out there who likes to pour like a half a gallon of syrup on your, on your, yeah, yeah, I know, that's right. That's the way you do it. You just drown it. It's really the, the waffle, the pancake, the French toast, they're really just a vehicle for the syrup. You could just skip it and just go right, you know, just drink the syrup if you want to. I worked at a breakfast restaurant for five years when I was a little bit younger, when I was in high school and then early adulthood. Um, it was called Coco's. It was not the best restaurant in the world, but it's where I worked. Um, and I worked on the night shifts at a breakfast restaurant. Bad idea. That was weird. Nobody goes to a breakfast restaurant at night. Um, but we realized at one point that we had a major turnover of, of managers. Um, on average, we were, we were getting a different manager every other month. But there was this one woman. She wasn't a manager. She was just another server. Uh, her name was Diane. She had been there for about 20 or 30 years. And we quickly realized that if you had a request, if you wanted something changed, you don't ask the manager. You ask Diane. Why? Because the manager might be there on Monday night, but he won't be there on Tuesday night. But Diane works six out of seven nights of the week. And sometimes she picks up a seventh shift if she can. So if Diane meets your request, it's, it's going to be done all week. And, and, and the manager might be there for two or three or four months, maybe six months. But Diane, she's going to be there for two or three or four or six more years. 
And every time one of us would come to Diane with a request, we were reaffirming, especially the requests that she agreed with and was able to like make happen, we were reaffirming the belief that Diane was the one who was really in charge over the night shifts, even though she didn't make any more money than I did. And when we bring our requests to the Lord, we are reaffirming our belief that he is the one in control. I'm not saying you can't try to come up with a plan yourself. I'm not saying you can't ask other people, but but we should always bring every request, needs, wants, desires, everything in between. Bring them to the Lord. He might say yes, he might say no, he might say something totally different, but bring those requests to the Lord because when we do that, we are reaffirming our belief that he's the one who's really in charge. And when we do that, we are combating the lie that God is not in control. And that is the lie that causes the chaos of anxiety. That is one of them. And when we bring our requests to the Lord, we slowly choke out that authority establishing chaos. And shalom grows in the garden of our hearts. And lastly, Paul says this. He says, do this with thanksgiving. Why? Because thanksgiving does both of these things. It tackles both of these lies. When we come to the Lord with thanksgiving... We're literally listing off all the things that he's done that are evidence to us that he's good. God, I thank you for this. I thank you that you're like that. I thank you for when you did this and when you did that. And I see that you were good in all of those times. And in so doing, we crush that lie that causes anxiety. And when we list off our thankfulness to the Lord, we're listing off a track record of all the times that we have evidence that God was in control. God, you did this. You did that. I'm thankful that you did this. And I see all the ways in which you moved. God, you are in control. I took my request to you here and you heard me. Here you said no. Here you said yes. Here you said something I didn't even expect you could say. And I'm thankful for the evidence of your power and authority. And when we do that, we combat that lie that is establishing the chaos, that is causing anxiety. And the garden of shalom that grows in our hearts slowly and surely chokes out the anxiety. Not tomorrow, not the next time you feel anxiety, although I do think these things would have some value in the immediate moment. But really over the course of days and months and weeks and years and decades, if we rejoice in the Lord, we bring him our requests and if we do all that with thanksgiving I know that a garden of shalom will grow in our hearts and we will begin to see the removal, the destruction of those authorities that make us anxious and afraid when we don't need to be Um, Yeah, Jesus, we thank you so much for that. We thank you for the way that you just pour over our hearts, the way that you give us direction and how to rejoice in you. We thank you that you hear our requests, that we can bring every single one of them to you, that you are not too busy. And we thank you, God, for all that you do and all that you are. Amen. Um, we, uh, we're going to end today. Uh, with doing exactly what we're talking about, with some rejoicing in the Lord. Um, so I know it feels weird, like we feel all kind of chill and vibey, like you know, 16-year-old Alec right now. Uh, but I want to encourage you guys. Would you guys go ahead and stand up with me? Um, we're gonna really rejoice in the Lord. I want to get you. I want to encourage you to like get your your like your biggie on. You know, your little your little tiny pug chihuahua puppy on. Get excited. No tinkling on the floor, please. That's just please don't do that. Um, 
But I want to really, like, really stir up in our hearts some rejoicing in the Lord as the band leads us in one last song. Um, so would you guys join me um, in clapping and shouting and praising and in pretending you're a puppy dog, if that's helpful, if that feels like a gift that you can bring to the Lord. And let's, let's rejoice in the Lord this morning, yeah?